Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including spoilers. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released June 9th, 2021, and we are discussing Disevidentia because it is clear millions of Q supporters are suffering from it. I am Mako. And I am Squeaky. We discuss logic and evidence because 15% of Americans are QAnons, and they won't. Check out our sponsors at disevidentia.com on our support page. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you spent all your money litigating against the FBI after the January 6th insurrection, you can still like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper or small business you'd like to see plugged here, let us know. The small business of the show is the QAnon Anonymous Podcast. More on them later. Today we're ad hocking everything, so no rant. This episode was released on May 12, 2021. Was this episode really released almost a month ago? So before, actually, I don't know when this happened. So we're going to try something different on this episode. Mm -hmm. Normally, I have a rant. We pick a few discussion topics that we investigate, we research some evidence for. This time, we're going to go through our thought process while we review a a documentary. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, HBO recently released a six-part documentary, Q Into the Storm. All about QAnon. Yeah, and I can't remember the main reporter's name. Like Cullen? Cullen Hoback? Hoback? That sounds about right. Something like that, yeah. I'm not sure if this is going to be a good documentary yet or not. Some documentaries are really bad. We'll try to call that out, but I guess we'll discuss what we're thinking about that. Yeah, I generally have good experiences with documentaries, but I mean, for something on the topic of... QAnon, something so fundamentally broken. I mean, you were there when we recorded the, the Mermaids episode, right? Well, yeah, but that was like active deception. I'm presuming this one isn't. But do you remember the Blackfish documentary that came out a while ago? No. But it was all about uh, the treatment of the whales at SeaWorld. Okay. And I'm not going to say that they have good treatment, but the documentary like openly lied about a ton of things huh. to the point where they were like, yeah, whales live longer out in the wild and these things that are signs of bad health, you only see that in captivity. The whales are healthier out in the ocean. But if you look at it or you ask or you ask like a marine biologist, they're like, yeah, the reason you see those in captivity is because it kills the whale in the wild. So yeah, that's 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 why the, they're not, not releasing these whales because they'll fucking die the next day. Yeah, I remember hearing a bunch of those things from other people. So I'm curious if this is going to be like that or if it's going to be really good. It could, again, about QAnon, it could be, I don't know, it could be anything. It could even be a boat. Could even be a boat. Yeah, so I'm sure we're going to make mistakes because after each of the six parts, we're going to come back and record a little bit, right? Yep. Okay. Anything else you want to say before we get started? I have no idea what to expect. And I guess spoiler warning, if you haven't seen it yet, we will be dropping spoilers. Yep, of course. Okay, see you on the other side. To be fair, it also contains adults. There's only one adult in that whole documentary. It's the reporter. I meant you and me, but this show but yeah okay whatever <laughs> whatever fine fine i'll say that this show has one adult as well uh-huh i'm a man baby so we just got done watching the first episode of q into the storm regrettably yeah it is not the most enlightening thing because the topic what is the opposite of enlightenment Endumining. it's a very endumining. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, I actually think the documentary itself is quite enlightening because I think a lot of people don't understand how many of our fellow Americans and fellow citizens from around the world or how many of them will succumb to absolute nonsense. It doesn't really do a blow-by-blow breakdown of how people came into the QAnon phenomenon, though. It is kind of like covering the history of Q and most of the people that it talks to. Granted, not everybody. Overall, I would say it has a pretty balanced take on the different people that are commenting on the documentary. But there definitely seems to be a bit of a stronger emphasis on the Q followers themselves when it comes to getting commentary from individuals regarding the phenomenon itself. I'm hoping that this will transition to revealing more about who's running it. I hope the first episode was just, here's an introduction to the Q phenomena for those who didn't know what it was or just heard one skewed viewpoint. Like, I I hope it's a good starting point for people to understand. There was a little bit that they did cover about QAnon that uh, I was not really expecting and I thought was more intelligent than I expected. What kinds of things surprised you? Specifically... So, okay, regarding a lot of the individual claims regard from QAnon himself, they didn't really substantiate any of it. There was just a glorious lack of evidence, and you commented on that while we were watching. Yeah, uh, one thing that got me specifically was they kept going to the Q-tubers, yeah. and none of the Q-tubers ever cited evidence. They all kept citing other Q-tubers in the Q-drops, and the Q-drops are evidence that somebody is out there posting and claiming to be Q, but they're not much beyond that, and the Q-tubers are just rehashing that and not adding evidence, not adding real verification. Yeah, they're all just making wild guesses, and they're latching on to the guesses they happen to get correct. And, <laughs> and that one Q-tuber, God, I forgot her name already, but the... The blonde woman who was fired from her journalism job. Yeah, I recall, yeah. Because they wouldn't cover the child sex trafficking, and there's no evidence of child sex trafficking yeah, presented. Like, if you have that evidence, why are you talking to your boss and not going to the police? Well, I mean, if you're a journalist, you should be doing both. Yeah. And we have seen journalists cover sex trafficking stories before. I mean, mm-hmm. Epstein, the Catholic Church, uh, that guy out of uh, Penn University, or Penn State University, Jerry Sandusky. I remember him, yeah. Yeah, pedophiles get caught and caught by journalists. They just use evidence. Because yeah, you have to in order to be able to uh, back your claim. Of course, when you are you don't have some kind of established business or corporation that could take the fall if you mess up, it's a little bit easier to just throw wild accusations out there. One thing that I thought was interesting was that guy that ran the CBTS message board. Mm-hmm. He seemed unwilling to succumb to disevidentia. He did fall into some logical fallacies. Like he thought that all the coincidences in the Q drops uh, with the news of the day, he thought that was a verification that Q was real and an insider. But then when he started getting evidence that Q was multiple people or that the addresses weren't following the same pattern because he was a board admin, he could see more information about Q. And he's like, we know this isn't the real Q. And he had evidence. He used it. And then he was excluded from the Q movement by the admin of the website, the person who wrote the code to make the website. Silly, inconvenient facts. Yeah. So as soon as these people get facts and evidence and they, they pay attention to it, it starts unraveling. But then the movement just moves on without them. Because they don't care for inconvenient facts. Yeah. I mean, it's more about the memes and about the the community aspect of it where everyone else is saying XYZ, so I'm going to believe XYZ. And they even comment at one point how boomers were participating on Patriot Soapbox. Yeah. And it's like, weren't weren't boomers the generation that warned us younger folk to 
pay attention to what we saw on the internet and be careful and not just believe everything we hear. Turns out that's just a narrative to get people to agree with their own ideologies. <sighs> I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were making points. Oh, yeah. So the things that were more intelligent than I anticipated was what some of these people were doing for investigating who exactly Q is. And I mean, okay, so some of these things completely baseless, like, oh yeah, it's JFK Jr. because his grave is in the shape of a Q. Like, oh God, just stop. Yeah, that is a specific kind of logical fallacy called anomaly hunting. Yeah. It's where you look for any kind of pattern, no matter how ridiculous, and you declare I found it because you found an anomaly. But the people who looked at uh, John Donald Trump's itinerary and noted that a lot of the posts coincided with the itinerary, I, I would treat that as like actual evidence and support that it's someone close to trump yeah when you have things that are very difficult to fake like one thing that's evidence here is the trip code yeah for people not familiar with cryptography or with these message boards uh, a trip code is a way to identify someone without breaking their anonymity and it works through the power of cryptography cryptography has this notion of a hashing function and you can put any data you want in one end and out comes the same but irreversible number on the other side they represent this number with with letters and numbers so it's short and easy to copy paste so you can verify it you know match it against your records and q was putting in the same password into this message board website this password then generated this trip code and this cryptographically verified that each q drop was from the same person mm -hmm. or knew the password so somehow behind the scenes q or this group of people or the people pretending to be q all had the same password verifiably and mathematically we know that so that's that counts as real evidence that's powered by like math and crypto yeah but that doesn't mean that q is real whatever your definition of real is q could have been a bunch of people who all guessed the same password or somebody shared q's password and put it around or it could have been a media group run by trump or it could be an insider at this point i don't know mm -hmm. sorry you were talking about the lack of evidence before I interrupted you again. <laughs> yeah, there just there isn't a whole lot of evidence that uh, was at least talked about in the documentary episode. Granted, I haven't gotten too deep in the Q rabbit hole. It doesn't really take much to be like, oh, that's really not worth going down. Yeah, I mean, they highlighted it with the whole Pizzagate thing. Yeah, and I actually remember when the Pizzagate thing was you know, just starting to break and uh, I was looking at it and like, oh, well, if that's true, that's a pretty big deal. I look forward to the actual evidence being presented and then it just never happened. For, for those not familiar, Pizzagate was this ridiculous conspiracy theory that in the bottom of this Comet Pizza, Pizza Parlor, or sorry, in the basement, there was some sort of child sex trafficking or like a child torture dungeon. It was kind of vague, but it happened in the basement and the place doesn't have a basement and they brought it up that succinctly. This thing could not be true because the preconditions for it to happen just did not exist. Yeah, people come up with all sorts of different excuses to how to reconcile that one. And some people are like, oh, well, like, they moved it and they hid the basement to it's a another like deeper hidden basement that's not a part of the building plans or or you could just walk around the building and like people did this there's there's no way to get to a basement yeah or some people will say that oh it's just a metaphorical basement it's actually some other location <laughs> it, there's no shortage of ways to bullshit something yeah pure mental gymnastics if yeah. you have to go out of your way to verify the thing you need commensurate evidence to explain why you need that yeah. the level of ridiculousness of your claim is the level of evidence you require. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, were there any people that were super notable to you? 
Any specific claims that stuck out? Well, just kind of the, the dichotomy within their own messages uh, at some points. Like, the QAnon followers are eagerly awaiting the declaration of martial law. And... <sighs> at the same time, often will denounce mask mandates because they think that that's fascist and infringement on freedom, but don't feel the same way about martial law. So I've been on this kick recently about the word socialism. Whenever a Democrat's in power, for the duration of my adult lifetime, whenever a Democrat has been in power, conservatives have always shouted socialism at anything the Democrats tried to do. Yeah. So recently I've been asking them to pin down and give me a definition of what they think socialism is, and I get different definitions from different conservatives. I've had the same experience with a number of conservatives, yes. This to me is confirmation of my idea that it's a loyalty test. And even last episode in the rant, I said so much as I think conservatives are using this as a loyalty test to verify if you're on their side or not. If you agree the bad thing is socialism, or if enough people call the thing socialism, then it is bad. That's how it works. So when they call masks fascist, right? It's not that the mask itself is fascist. It's that mask bad, use bad word for it. Well, yeah, that and I think fascist in particular was something that was primed in their vocabulary because of various... I was going to try to build to that, but yes, Antifa. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. Antifa was something that definitely primed them with the the fascist word. Yeah, and they just take any word that's levied against them like the word doesn't have meaning. Mm -hmm. The reason people called Donald Trump a fascist was because it appeared that he was going to try to seize power by violence and that he went against what he said before and he wanted to Uh, keep the power for himself. The January 6th insurrection, I would say, is definitive proof of him trying to secure power through violence. Ah, yes. But Antifa existed long before that. Of course. Yeah. And it just, he made all the right motions to look like a fascist dictator trying to take over the U.S. Yeah. I mean, he ignored propriety at every point where it was convenient for him. He left his interim cabinet picks in far longer than you're allowed to leave an interim cabinet pick in. Again, with the violations of propriety, he jammed extra judges onto the court. Uh, He did everything in his power to try to aggregate power under the Republican and conservative umbrella, and specifically under him. And whenever somebody talked out against him, even if it was true, he did his best to get them fired. He got a huge number of doctors at the CDC fired and outed when they went against his public talking points. (laughs) It's just some of them had rules around them, so they couldn't fire them. So they even went so far as to uh, discuss moving the CDC so they could fire everyone who didn't go. Luckily, you can't just fire any random government employee because then every new political employment, every new political employment, every time somebody won an election would mean they would fire everyone under them who wasn't uh, singing their praises. So we have rules against that, you know, checks and balances. And he was doing his best to circumvent those to build a loyal government instead of a useful government. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I went on really long. I'm sure you have more interesting things to say. I don't know. Well, on the topic of loyalty tests, uh, most recently I've been hearing a lot of people describe the uh, election steal myth as a loyalty test above all else. Yeah, it's, it's not about whether or not the election was actually stolen. It's just if you agree that the election was stolen, you're a true Trump supporter. We all know Biden's president, but come on, we got to say this. Yeah. Although there was actually a study I saw come out a few days ago, I believe, that said that 53% of all Republicans feel that Donald Trump is still the legitimate president, which is, I don't even... So do you think you'll be able to find a source for that? I saw it on Reddit. Uh, probably, maybe. I don't okay, know. Okay, we'll try to put that in the show notes. I'll try to get a, a good description of what a hashing function is and what a trip code is mm-hmm. for the sources. But yeah, the other, it's getting back to Q into the storm specifically and its content, the other weird dichotomy that I noticed was the notion that Q followers, Q supporters, are demanding answers, but simultaneously trusting the plan. <sighs> 
this ties into something you brought up while we were watching it. The concept of research, mm-hmm. right? And something Heather said. Heather was there too. I guess the podcast listeners might not know who Heather is and they can go fucking guess. Okay. But you guys were both commenting how these people were doing research, but there was no actual research going on. They would Google something, they'd look for coincidences and then be like, haha, I found it. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Yeah. They're not interested in understanding and they were rejecting sources with things they thought were inconvenient. You and I, we've rejected sources before, but we do it because we've read and understood the material and we're like, okay, here's how we can know this source is lying or here's where this source has lied in the past. And then we go and get other sources, even if they disagree with us, Mm -hmm. like on guns, right? The Bureau of Justice Statistics. Yes. That episode, I did it wrong so many times on purpose. I can't do it correct now but yeah they had statistics that were like really difficult to understand and rather than just ignore them we went through the the hard part of understanding what they were saying yeah we had to establish definitions yeah the way they define yeah they can go listen to the gun episode what was that episode five or six something like that yeah but we tackled uh some gun myths and uh yeah these people are unwilling to actually read in depth and rather than sorry i asked you for your input you're fine (sighs) But yeah, those two things did stand out, like trust the plan, but we demand answers and martial law. Okay. Okay. Acknowledgement is necessary here for the martial law part. I know that the premise of the martial law in this case is that it's only temporary. Martial law is always only temporary. Yes. The dissolution of the Congress and Senate is always only temporary. The crowning oneself emperor is always only temporary. And mask mandates, you know, that was always planned to be temporary as well. And the recent relaxing of the CDC guidelines for masks. <laughs> I was more pointing to historically. I, I know what you were. For, for the listener, what I meant was often when extra powers are given to the chief executive of any group, it's often used to turn it into a dictatorship or into a fascist government. Under the guise of being only temporary. Like literally Hitler did that. Yeah, but trying to, to get to the less dystopic direction for that point, like just drawing more parallels between mask mandates and oh. the martial law, like mask mandates were always planned to be temporary and we're, we're actually at the other end of that because of the relaxing of the cdc guidelines yep i don't entirely agree with that i see where they the cdc is coming from with the science mm-hmm. and per the science if you're vaccinated you can't spread the virus but i still like having the masks as a signal for who is an idiot and who isn't yeah we can't i don't feel like i can trust all of my neighbors with responsible mask management so one of our neighbors simply has never worn a mask even when we've him too. That doesn't help. <laughs> but you mean across the whole community, though? Yes. And so my personal take on it was to constantly monitor new case rates for our area. And when they got sufficiently low, then I'd feel confident in taking off my mask. But before then, I will not be taking off my mask. I will not be participating in this rela- more relaxed culture towards coronavirus. Yeah. I know the vaccines are very effective, but I'm not sure that I want to take, you know, the one in 20 chance and then risk bringing that to like my grandmother who might call me for help. Yeah. So I'm about every week checking the new cases that have been reported for our county and our state and keeping track of those numbers. And when they're really low, then I'll be like, okay, now it's time. How are they looking? Uh, Last time I looked, we, for our county, we had about 60 to 80 new cases for most of the days. That's not bad. I remember when it used to be a couple hundred. Yeah, for our population, it's it's actually kind of good. Yeah. But it's not where I want it. I want it to be less than 10 consistently for a whole week. And Mm. then I'll consider 
consider taking off my mask. Well, that's a good, nice, hard threshold. It's easy to have. I like it. Yeah. And again, this is us having watched the first episode of Q Into the Storm. More episodes, more commentary to follow. Oh, I have blathered on. I've got to cut out a lot of bullshit I've said because it's fucking stupid. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. Okay, so we just got done watching episode two of Q Into the Storm. I had to take a pause, actually two of them, while watching it because it was just getting a bit too much for me all at once. Okay, so why don't we keep that break going just a little, just a little bit longer and focus on one thing we forgot to mention from last time. Yep. Code Monkey, or uh, Ron Watkins, the administrator and coder behind uh, 8chan, mm-hmm. exclaimed how he was astounded at what Q could know because he somehow knew how many people were using Q-chan when he himself didn't know. Q-chan? Is, uh, 8chan. It really is Q-chan, though. That's a fair description but yeah yeah but he should have known how many people were on the site or no one should have known somehow q claimed to know yeah and he just kind of the way he phrased it it seemed like he just accepted it as fact and is like how could people know well like you're an admin you should know yeah now it is possible that the q documentary is taking him out of context yeah seems unlikely They've demonstrated repeatedly he's not the brightest. Like, apparently he does know how to code, and he did solve 8chan's scaling problem. Mm-hmm. But often, fixing a scaling problem in a web page is replacing one data structure with another and being like, ooh, look, this one works better at scale. You know, and throwing bigger, hardier servers at it. And his dad did bring a lot of money, and Jim Watkins is the guy who's funding this. That's Ron Watkins' dad, according to this. Yep. And really, this episode was a bunch of just the history of image boards and these guys' as uh, forays into them. The focus was who was behind Q. And yeah, they did a deep dive on the history of all manners of image boards from, like, was it 1999 all the way up till now? Yeah, the, the, can't remember his name. The founder of 2chan. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, there was business dealings between the founder of 2chan and Jim Watkins, and Jim Watkins fucked him out of his business somehow. They even yep. had major lawsuits over it, and uh, Jim wound up owning everything, and that's that's how you know you're dealing with good people, when, when they fuck you out of your business. Yay! And at least what was shown in the documentary, the only thing he really had to say about it was that he stopped paying the bills, or something like that? Uh... I think the allegations were going the other way, that Jim stopped paying the bills, but I don't recall. You know, I really shouldn't be taking sides on this. I really don't know enough. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to recall what was said, but yeah, I could have sworn it was Jim making accusations that money was not being paid, as it should. More of the history of image boards. Of the three main people they focused on, the only non-Watkins was Fred, mm-hmm. and he bounced around, admined a few different boards, and then wrote the initial code to make 8chan work, which was then sold to Jim. And I guess there were some issues there, too. Not a ton. It seemed mostly amicable. Well, Jim made clear that he thought it was amicable. Fred seemed pretty upset, but wasn't complaining too much because he had some money out of it, is what it looked like to me. Well, the talking about 8chan, how that topic was going to go over with Jim, he seemed hesitant about. But his position as simply being a admin, he seemed to actively want that and appreciate not having to be responsible for everything under the sun regarding it. But when he 
walked away from 8chan entirely, like even stepped down as an admin. I don't remember Fred saying much in the documentary about how he felt about dealing with Jim after that point. But I do remember Jim explicitly saying like, oh, maybe he'll come back. It'll be better if he does come back. Clearly operating in some delusion. I don't think that guy's operating in delusion. I think Jim knows what he's saying. I've met those types of business people who talk in vagaries and are always super optimistic and then backstab you. So maybe I'm pigeonholing Jim into that category. So when I worked at Coast Century, a lot of the people who ran the place were like that. And when I worked at Doc Center, a lot of the people who ran the place were like that. And a lot of my early career had really gave me a tainted lens to look at the rest of business through. Ugh. For people who aren't familiar with my background, I contracted in software at, I don't know, a dozen different places, and they got progressively less shitty. So the first few places I worked at were really bad, and I was also a really bad coder. And as I got better, and I started stumbling upon better jobs, I started realizing that not, not every place was a toxic uh, hellhole. Yeah. It seems like their relationship was pretty toxic. The gym kept saying positive things, but other people were suing him. And the best Fred had to say was, I think I'm quoting, was they were not enemies. He had more to say about that link i mean i did only use two words <laughs> yeah okay i don't know and i'm even looking at the the post-mortem they mentioned that fred posted and he doesn't have anything negative to say there so I'm, i've got to be pigeonholing him i don't know he definitely from other things that he commented on like his stance on american politics especially after saying oh, i'm not political let's gun down all the politicians like okay that's a political statement yeah but a lot of people who honestly feel they're not political make vague claims like that because they don't have enough political knowledge to express things in a nuanced way of course now, i don't think i believe that from jim but so on the discussion of politics and like whether or not somebody is political it has been my experience if you have something aggressive to say you just are political you started out saying that you're not political because you have a history of being shunned for those beliefs <laughs> that has been my experience i have had slightly different experience but i can't invalidate yours that definitely is a category of things i've seen now that th there is definitely a, a kind of person that matches that and it's often the same types of business people i've been pigeonholing jim into jim did go out of his way to make lots of racist remarks and yeah. get very upset about gender neutraling first time <laughs> i've heard that as a verb and it's like well why why do you have to get mad over it and then he did call back to Oh, God, that racist guy from the 50s. Yeah, I don't remember his from name. The, was it from the Honeymooners or whatever the show was? Yeah, the, yeah. the terrible show that was yeah. terrible. There wasn't a whole lot really directly about Q. They did touch on some more of the Q-tubers. A little bit. Yeah. Like the difficulty of navigating 8chan, how it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, Um. let me check. I have some notes. Sorry. Go ahead. So they have the other aggregate aggregating websites uh what was it qmap.pub that's the one qmap.pub apparently a lot of these qtubers go through that they never actually set foot in yeah HN. in journalism there's been a lot of talk about this problem of lots of content aggregators and you and i make a we largely fall in the category of content aggregators we're not out there in the field gathering information yeah our entire podcast is aggregation of information yeah we just look at it critically because a lot of people don't and or real journalists are unwilling to uh, provide their own analysis mm -hmm. and that's not even all real journalists but that's all we do is we do analysis these qtubers largely do the same thing but they also never go to the source that's really hard to analyze something that you've never seen <laughs> yeah even there was a record of a conversation between two of the qtubers between dustin uh, Dustin Nemos and Craig James, I think, 
two of the QTubers were just chatting and they were talking about, well, isn't there a basement somewhere in, in some of these restaurants here in DC where you can get into? And I'm like, yeah, I think I heard something about that. Yeah, I think I heard something about that. But all my info comes from the, the Comet Pizza place. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, yeah, I guess that's what I've heard, too. So do you think there's anything to it? Guys, you just debunked it. I saw you debunk it to each other. Why are you asking for validation? You just verified you had no real information. Ugh, it's so painful. What was the uh, boondocks quote? Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence? I don't know that that's from the boondocks, but people say that a lot. I That's where I first heard it. Oh, yeah, it's because the boondocks randomly had a lot of intelligent things to say. Yeah, it's a good show. I should go back and rewatch it. But that, uh, I think, is kind of their mentality. Like, they realize that there's... Maybe they don't even realize that it's kind of circular at that point. But they're like, oh, well, we all heard about this. It had to have come from somewhere. So there's just... We don't know where it originated. That's terrible. If you don't know where it originated, you don't have evidence. Yeah, and that's the part they're not understanding. They're just... They're taking it on faith, I guess, for some people that it's out there. So I already got this source for a discussion when I mentioned anomaly hunting in the first segment for the first episode. This doctor that writes uh, for the podcast, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, Mm -hmm. he talked about the logical fallacy of anomaly hunting, and he framed it really intelligently. He said that a good researcher with a theory will say the theory predicts a certain thing. They'll go to the data and find the certain thing and confirm it or not find the thing and either disconfirm or act neutrally on that theory. A bad researcher with a theory might say, my theory says that there will be anomalies in the data. They will go to the data, find anomalies, and not realize that there's any number of reasons for anomalies in the data, and then presume their theory is correct. They're not actually connecting their theory to the data. They're just declaring, I predict anomalies. Then they see anomalies that are totally unrelated. It's just That's exactly what all of this Q stuff is. Q is predicting there will be anomalies. Then they see anything that's anomalous, and they think it supports Q. It also doesn't help that a core tenet of this Q stuff is coincidences. He keeps saying there are no coincidences. And if you believe there aren't any coincidences, then when Q says anything and then it happens somewhere else... Then it must be all interconnected in this elaborate weave that we can't see, because cabal, blah, 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 blah. And the conversations with the Q-tubers are really enlightening because they're they're true believers. And they say stuff like, we're fighting evil, or we are opposing, I'm sorry, we are opposing evil, or we're fighting people who eat babies. Yeah. And they're not joking. There's no sarcastic tone. They literally think that Hillary Clinton's eating babies. That makes no sense. Right on the surface level, these people are claiming eating babies has rejuvenating properties if you eat enough of them. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton looks like shit. <laughs> and so it's not rejuvenating her. Next, if it doesn't, why would she do it? And then she's not because she's like the most FBI investigated person ever because people keep making the FBI investigator. So she hasn't had time to eat any babies. And then there's no missing babies around her. I just none of this adds up on any fucking level. It's so stupid. Yeah. People could keep making arbitrary excuses for each one of those individual things, but it just each of those excuses raises more questions and it very, very quickly just gets to the point where no that the simple answer here is that Q is wrong. Yeah. Flipping back to the image boards, mm-hmm. I recently heard an episode of Radiolab where they talked about the beginnings of our modern notion of free speech. Okay. And I've verified this. I've read a few other sources. I'll try to find that episode of Radiolab, and I will link to uh, mst.edu where they discuss how the First Amendment was interpreted in 1919 to mean what it means today. The founders 
the framers of the Constitution just wanted to make sure that the press wouldn't become an arm of the government. So they wanted to ensure a free press where you wouldn't have to pay to run a press beyond, you know, buying your own equipment. Mm -hmm. That's what free press used to mean. But it's been expanded and I think mostly for good. It's been mostly expanded. Uh, but in 1919, there was a specific uh, court case. And of course, I didn't write the name down. But trying to very carefully navigate this because there's details. Yes. But this is where the free market of ideas analogy came from, what popularized it, the notion that we should let lots of ideas out there, and it actually came forward in a Supreme Court writing. And I'll link to an article with the details because clearly I can't remember them. But I do believe he ruled against these people but wrote in favor of their free speech in his findings. And that has been cited a ton, even as recently as like 2017, by the Supreme Court when making rulings. And before that, we really didn't have the same notion of free speech we have now. Like if we look at the 1950s and McCarthyism, we can see how in the beginning of McCarthyism, McCarthy thought that he could convict people just for being communists. So clearly he didn't grow up with the notion of free speech the same way you and I have grown up with the notion of free speech. And then by the end, lots of the American people were like, no, yeah, maybe we don't like communists. Maybe we are you know, in the middle of the Red Scare, but you can't just arrest people for having political ideas. And then McCarthy's career was destroyed. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just rambling. I'm sure you have thoughts and opinions, and I keep... No, mostly like the history of free speech in the United States is not something I'm particularly versed on. But the other content from... Yeah, you were cringing doing, the whole time. There was a couple points where it was distinctly worse than the rest, like uh, Jim Watkins comment on like all the different things that QAnon has said and he seems to almost even directly acknowledge that Q is wrong in some cases and then has a half-hearted reference to multiverse theory to try to justify the wrongness yeah i remember what you're talking about i believe i wrote that one down he said everything Q has said has come true in some potential future but you can only experience one of them. Yeah. What kind of ridiculous mental gymnastics nonsense is that? Kind of mental gymnastics where you're willing to do anything to believe the narrative you have already decided is correct. This is why I made the word disevidentia. This guy is rich, somewhat powerful. He owns multiple businesses. He owns a grocery store. He owns a bakery. He owns a pig farm. He has money and has been successful. Mm -hmm. And it is immediately intuitive to want to find a way for him not to be this unintelligent as to believe in Q. But I have no evidence, right? He could be faking. Everything he said about Q, he could have been faking. He asked for the URL to the board. He said he didn't know it. He said he didn't know how popular the board was. Could have been faking all of that, right? Have... Or we could just take him not being very intelligent at face value and just accept the fact that sometimes people who are kind of dumb wind up acquiring lots of wealth and power despite that. Not everybody can be intelligent at everything. Intelligence can and has been compartmentalized. He's chosen to get into the internet business and has been for 21 years. If he has people with enough experience in it. He, the only thing he really specifically said about his interest in 8chan is the preservation of free speech. That lines up with a lot of other ideology, uh, ideologies that he seems to be in line with. Yeah. And it's always interesting that when these people say free speech, they never seem to care about free speech of people unlike themselves. Mm -hmm. He kept talking about freedom to say you know, horrible words I don't want to repeat that are just overt bigotry. Yeah. Uh, something else that bothered me was uh, this notion of dangerous ideas. <laughs> so many people who are claiming to be censored and very not censored, like, I don't know if you heard in Joe Rose, Rogan's recent podcast, he claimed that pretty, or he claimed that it was illegal for a white guy to talk 
and to go outside. And he said this on his podcast to millions of people. That's obviously false. I mean, it's Joe Rogan. We just we don't have to go into how stupid he is. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm comfortable calling Joe Rogan stupid. He just, okay. He just is. But lots of people will take, these people will claim that they're being censored. These people will claim that it's in the name of dangerous ideas or something. And what they're doing is they're ignoring the content of the message of people like me when I say, hey, you probably shouldn't, if you're really interested in maximizing free speech, you shouldn't have a message board that tolerates Nazis, for example. Because if you tolerate Nazis, they'll push out other people because Nazis have a, I mean, their ideology is hating Jewish people, hating non-white people. The paradox of tolerance. Yeah. So if you tolerate people who are voluntarily intolerant, you will shrink free speech because black people and jews won't have a free space to talk on a board where nazis can talk it's just it's not how free speech works any of these people would tell you that these people have the right to choose people that are fleeing like the jews for example that are fleeing this (laughs) forum they can just choose to not flee the forum is going to be the defense from these people yeah and that's fucking stupid if if you go to any of these places and start talking about judaism at all the the next thing that gets posted is like a nazi flag and, and, and requests that you die in a fire or claims that Hitler did nothing wrong or, or, or yeah you're free to stay and just tolerate this abuse constantly because you can't have a real discussion yeah. so I mean yeah you're free to stay and then talk about nothing about how you deserve to die <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's that simple I will also link to Monster Island there was a, an actual free speech experiment by a guy who was legitimately interested in researching it. He wanted to see how long he could get free speech going, and he wanted there to be no rules. And really quickly, he had to start making rules. One of the first rules was you can't do things that fuck with Monster Island. So he he banned hacking, right? Debatably, I guess that's not speech. Mm-hmm. But then people started do- trying to dox the admins, and they threatened to kill the admins. He's like, okay, we're going to start banning that. Then they started with the child porn. They had to ban that. <sighs> Then they started voting very disingenuously to, to do things. They, they even set up an impartial committee. An impartial. They, they appointed people on the left and on the right and presumably neutral parties to mediate arguments that people on this website had. And then when people were kicked out for, you know, issuing borderline death threats, like, you know, because death threats were against the rule, but hinting that, oh, I'm going to show up at your house and you're going to die. That's not against the rules because that's not a threat. I'm not, I didn't say I'm the one who's going to kill you. Then when that impartial committee started ruling those as death threats and banning those people, people started shouting about how bad the committee was. So they had to write rules against complaining about the committee and it turned into a shit show because they just ignored the lessons we've learned about the paradox of tolerance. It's not hard. The ideas aren't too dangerous. They just inhibit free speech. A little bit. Hmm? What? Uh, Nazism inhibits free speech more than adhering to the paradox of tolerance, for example. Yeah. It's just any form of voluntary intolerance. Yeah, there I went on another ramble. That's okay. Yeah, I'm slightly misunderstood what you said for there for a moment. But yeah, we're good. No, I got you. I know what you meant. You thought I was saying the paradox of intolerance inhibits free speech, and I guess... It... For the better, slightly, it does, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there were some way to get unfettered free speech, we could take that instead. Mm-hmm. But there's no way to get there that we have discovered as humans. As soon as you say, there's no limits on speech here, the next thing you get is child porn and gas the Jews. Yep. <sighs> People are terrible. We are collectively we fucking are and i apologize for just opening up and saying a lot of quotes that are anti-semitic or racist or other terrible shit i'm just trying to express what these other people are saying i don't want any of that shit to happen i don't want any group of people to be harmed based on the circumstances of their birth Mm -hmm. and i wish we could discuss it like adults 
We've just proven we can't. Yeah. What are your opinions on the marketplace of ideas? Marketplace of ideas. <sighs> so I'm pretty sure I understand what you mean by that. Because... <laughs> uh, and I have to clarify that that term is something I've only ever heard you say. What? Yeah. I am deeply surprised you've only ever heard me say it. Mm-hmm. I heard it like probably every other year in school from my teachers. Oh, yeah. They were never, that was not something I was ever taught to me in primary school or oh, goodness. public school. I have to remember that not everyone has the same experience, even if we're both intelligent, well-read people. Mm-hmm. We could just be well-read on different things. Yeah. So just the... The free exchange of ideas, I presume, is what you mean by marketplace and how much people uh, choose to indulge ideas and then circulate those ideas determines the value of an idea. That's kind of where you're getting at with marketplace thinking of uh, laissez-faire capitalism. And that is not an economic system that works because, I mean, some amount of regulation is required. Otherwise, certain companies just become an monopolies and they use their power to crush other things and they just when they control so much then it, it stops being a competition it's, it stops being a test of who is best one person already won and they are now writing the rules and i don't know maybe that's something that applies here when you have one ideology that just spreads so aggressively like wildfire <laughs> this is why i ask you for your input on things i never would have gone there yeah yeah trumpism is a bad idea but it's for example, taken over Twitter before Trump was banned. And if you start talking against Trump, you get shouted down by a bunch of flamers, even if you brought up like hard, if you bring up hard facts proven with like cryptographic checksums and photo evidence, they're like, nuh-uh, die in a fire, MAGA, See, I thought you were immediately going to go to religion. Because <laughs> religion seems like a more natural fit for what I described. Yeah, yeah, but some Christians might be listening to this. I don't want to offend them that much. It doesn't. Okay. Ah, fuck it. That's why I say religion. We're not pick, don't have to pick on Christian specifically. Oh. All right, fine. Let's pick on Christian specifically. I was giving him puppy dog eyes. Okay. <laughs> no, we don't need to. But just the idea that if, if you have a lot of people indoctrinated into some belief system, right? Yeah. And then suddenly it becomes self-reinforcing because you have this, this culture of I can't speak against it or else bad things will happen to me socially. And we're seeing that both in political circles and in religious circles. Oh, yeah. There's totally self-reinforcing on the liberal side and on the conservative side. They're different in different effects. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, they're there on both sides. And I know I mentioned, I keep going back to socialism as a word. People use the word socialism as a loyalty test Mm -hmm. on the conservative side. And on the liberal side, if you aren't constantly being more tolerant and more liberal to certain extremes, even extremes that the impacted peoples don't care about, you can be shunned from groups. Like the word Latino, Latina, right? A lot of more academic people wanted to replace that with Latinx, even though it doesn't flow and isn't a thing that Latinos or Latinas say, but that's sort of a virtue signal over there. But it's also kind of a good thing because no one gets offended with Latinx, or if they do, they're not saying it. It, I don't know. It seems a little awkward to me, but I don't see how it could be offensive. Yeah, and it's not even like that's one big thing. There's a lot of little ones like that on the liberal side. Like, I've seen people get mad at me because I left the Q off LBGT, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I've just been putting the plus there now, wherever I'm saying it, just, you know, LBG plus, LBGTQ plus, LB, whatever. I pick a bunch of letters and put a plus and I'm like, look, I'm not trying to exclude everyone. I just, you know, don't know what everyone thinks the best practice is here. I actually looked that up once because I had a disagreement with a friend over whether or not an A is appropriate at the end. And, For asexual? Uh, allies. Or actually, no, sorry. Allies and asexual, based on which source or group you're looking at, yeah. there actually isn't even a consensus here. Yeah, so it's this little thing is a it's another loyalty test, or some might call it a virtue signal, though. I don't like the term virtue signal because it's so loaded now. It doesn't mean what it meant when researchers first said it. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> <sighs> Or it is used to see if you're on the same side. And the right seems to have a bunch of big ones. Like, do you believe Trump's big lie or not? That's rapidly becoming one. Yep. And the left has a bunch of little ones. And the left actually won't kick you out for not believing it. But then as soon as you do something, or believing is not the right word, for not using, not accepting, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't think you can be very liberal and then not believe in equal rights. That doesn't seem to fit. But if you start doing things that would be like mean or hostile based on the circumstances of someone's birth, like you start using racial slurs, you start getting excluded from liberal things. So to try to expand a little bit more on the thought of ideologies quashing other thoughts, and like it's easy for you and I to look at something like religion and point at it, be like, okay, that's something that is stifling other ideas, and that's a problem. But then... I just I know that somebody out there is going to be like, well, OK, things like cancel culture from the liberals is quashing ideas as well. <laughs> so, like, what's the difference? How do you differentiate them? <laughs> and OK, I, I can't tell you exactly everything that differentiates it because that would require a full blown thesis. And I don't have the time uh, to do that. It, but it, sorry. Yeah. The one simple thing you can start with is the very thing that we keep hammering at on this podcast evidence <laughs> yeah if there's a reason a thing is being canceled go back and ask what that reason is and if the reason is they ate babies uh, where's the picture of the meeting babies what pictures versus they exploit migrant workers and then pictures of migrant workers in a field right it's it's much easier to cancel somebody when you have evidence that they're doing a bad thing yeah any idea is more valuable when you have evidence for the idea. There's so many possibilities in my brain. I'm like, no, let's try this one. Let's try this one. No, pick one. Just remember that all the possibilities are right, but you only get to experience oh, one. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> okay, so we just got done watching episode three. Episode three, yep. I figure we'll discuss a few things from last time, and I discovered some things when I was trimming and editing on the episode two stuff mm -hmm. the guy who was the was the editor for the cbts board okay he's a horrible raging racist i said that maybe he was kind of approachable but he had a point where he used a tirade of slur words i just figured we should correct that sure he is the guy that i did comment on how he was able to use critical thinking and that came up this episode i guess this plays into this episode as well but i commented right i am one at the content that the documentary seems light on hard facts but it does present a lot of viewpoints yeah it, i generally agree it, the hard facts are kind of scarce and initially felt that the show was not really trying to be too aggressive about any given point or leaning but uh, this episode has kind of shattered that one one other thing i claim joe rogan said a thing was illegal joe rogan said that he was worried it might become illegal and that he could become censored okay fair yeah so i'm just pedantic correction okay yep so do you want to 
dig deeper into any of these things? No. Well, what do what thoughts do you have about the episode or yeah about the episode? Because I just spend a lot of time talking, and you should talk more. Uh, Want to make sure you said all the things you want to say. Uh, so the episode, like I was mentioning a moment ago, it definitely is putting forth, like going deeper into trying to ascertain who Q is, and this episode was putting a lot of information out there that was very obviously steering the conversation towards the person behind Q now anyway is Ron Watkins. Yeah. He didn't create it by any means that we can readily tell, but that he did co-opt the account at some point and is currently the person behind Q. I believe in the first segment, which is from a recording standpoint, it was three days ago, mm -hmm. I mentioned hash functions and trip codes, and they touched on that again this episode. Yep. And Ron is perfectly positioned as the site system administrator to have captured all the passwords before they got turned into trip codes. So anybody on the site, he could have captured their password and he could assume anyone's identity. And that is a risk you run using any website. Yeah. If there's not some very special cryptography going on, if you're not taking steps on your system, there's no reason why the Reddit or Facebook or Twitter admins can't assume your account and make you say whatever they want to say other than their reputation. And with something intentionally anonymous like this, nobody knows who Q is. Nobody knows who Q was. What reputation? Yeah. I think the episode also tried to set up this notion that Ron, Jim, and a Thomas Reader, Rydell? Rydell, yes. Thomas Rydell were sort of this old boys club or this mafia-like clique. Yeah, mafia might be a little bit of a strong word, but yeah, I, I know what you're going for. <laughs> yeah, but they're partners in crime together? Whether yes. or not anything they did is actually illegal is more debatable, but the yeah. euphemism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And two people came out speaking against them. That would be Fred and Red Pill. And Red Pill is another anonymous person who we think was an ex-worker at a website yeah. Jim used to own. The circumstances surrounding Red Pill, uh, I felt, were were kind of weak. They, they didn't, I'm not, I don't want to say they didn't seem credible, but they just, they didn't seem strong enough for me to be particularly convinced of yeah. what they were saying. We have no evidence that Red Pill wasn't Jim himself trying to just stir shit up. Yeah, or some random disgruntled, it could have been a disgruntled employee like they're saying, but could have just been making things up. And Yeah, and the intentional vagueness that they had, because they said things like, the real story behind Q would destroy so many people. Like, If that's accurate, why not just say it? And prevent people from digging further in or making worse mistakes, yeah. Yeah, it seems ridiculous. This is the type of thing that somebody that's desperate to do damage would say without having to get themselves cottoned too much. So I guess that trio was also in porn, and that came up repeatedly that episode. Okay, to clarify, they were not actors in porn. Oh yeah, you know what? Our viewers don't have pictures. If you see these people, you'd know they're not in porn. Yeah, they managed <laughs> pornographic websites. Yeah, and as sort of a the cameraman or filmmakers made it seem sort of like a hazing ritual that you had to go to this uh, soap-themed... Soapland. Yeah. A word. A soap-themed brothel is what Soapland seemed like to me. That seems like a fair description. All that together makes Ron seem like grade-A incel material to me. In, like, the very first scene of this episode, Ron was sitting there, like, legs crossed, like, lotus position, but he had, like, a big Ayaname Ray. It's the, the, the one of the girl characters from an, a popular anime called Neon Genesis, Genesis Evangelion. Yeah. yeah. It's like a 14-year-old girl posed in this sort of sexualized position with, like, boobs sticking out. And then on the other side was something equally, you know, geekish. And then he was surrounded by, like, manga pains. 
and he had like fingerless gloves on. And, I don't know. He he's very obviously a part of a particular culture, which in cells have an un- uncomfortable amount of overlap. Yes. Yeah. He he was not trying to make himself presentable for the camera at all. Maybe he thought he was. Oh goodness. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ever think of that? No. No, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I fucking didn't. I just I was taking him at face value when he said he doesn't care what other people think. But he doesn't care what other people think about him. And he's trying to present his best face and he doesn't care if people don't think that's his best face. That's a possible interpretation. I don't see a difference. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, So I guess something else that's interesting that taints some of the interactions from the previous previous episodes is apparently Jim learned he was suffering 90 percent hearing loss. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned that he was kind of frustrated or he at least acted frustrated. And we didn't see that from much of the camera footage that was actually displayed in the uh, first couple episodes. So I guess that's neat editing. But yeah, he was almost unrecognizable in this episode. Yeah. Those mutton chops did a number on him. Yeah. Yeah, if he wanted to, like, go undercover, yeah. But I, I now know mutton chops is the way to do it. Yeah. What would I look like with mutton chops? Horrible. But you say that's how I look now. More horrible. Hmm. Okay. At least I can grow mutton chops. Why is that? You say that like it's a good thing. Oh, God. There's no winning with you. <laughs> uh, onto things in the episode. Uh, they mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene once. Yeah, regrettably. Yeah. Uh, she declared that Q is a patriot, even though he has no reason to say that, no evidence. She doesn't know who Q is. Nobody knows who Q is. Yeah. So that one I can kind of see an argument for in that patriotism is not simply something that you are because you're born into it. It's, it's based on the decisions that you make, the positions that you, you take a stand on. And if it's for the benefit of country and the people in the country, then that's patriotic. And if they're trying, despite not knowing who it is, they're trying to say, well, okay, these actions are definitely in favor of the country, which I would argue they absolutely are not. But if you are convinced of that, then you can say that they're patriotic. I guess. Yeah, I guess. It's just 5347. What do you think about this? (laughs) So... That one was obviously a botched prediction that the instant something with that number came up, he was like, oh, yeah, that's totally what I meant. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think he's taking the Nostradamus approach. Whoever Q is is what I'm talking about. Yeah. The 5347 numbers were two numbers Q posted in a Q drop just before the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And he didn't say what they were. He provided very little context. And everyone else was like, oh, this is what the Brett Kavanaugh vote's going to be. And then a while later, uh, the amount of Senate seats changed to 5347. And this is just a great set of numbers to put out there, because if you're trying to make yourself, if you're trying to buy some credibility that you can predict things that shouldn't be predictable, Mm -hmm. because every Senate vote adds up to 100, (laughs) Uh, every percentage adds up to 100. As divided as the country is, it's going to be close to 50-50 regardless. Yeah, any poll could be 53-47. You know what? 53% of Republicans believe that Trump is still president and 47% don't. Oh, no. Yeah. It's pretty easy to say something is those numbers because it'll just come up a lot in politics. Yeah. And there were other Q drop. According to this documentary, there are other Q drops where Q predicted a red wave or red tsunami. So this would be in direct contradiction to those things. But the Q people are acknowledging the hits and ignoring the misses. This is exactly the same type of logic that makes people think Nostradamus has special predictive properties. Yep. 
I don't know if you've ever, if you're not familiar with Nostradamus, he's a guy who wrote in this coded stuff many hundreds of years ago, and people who decoded his messages, they thought they looked like predictions from the future, and he predicted names really close to, like, Hitler, and he predicted things that sound really good and really close to, you know, things. Like, people say he predicted the 9-11 attacks, because, God, I have to fucking Google it now, don't I? Yeah, it could help. Search for... Nostradamus predicted 9-11. Okay, so he wrote his stuff in things called quatrains. And can you just give me the quatrain? I'm going to science website debunking this shit, which should be lost. Okay, so here's what Nostradamus wrote after he translated out of his encoded quatrain. Mm -hmm. Two steel birds will fall from the sky on the metropolis. The sky will burn at 45 degrees latitude. Fires approach the great new city. Immediately, a huge scattered flame leaps up. Within months, rivers will flow with blood. The undead will roam the earth for a little time. So, two steel birds, okay, it's 747. Uh, mm-hmm. The new city sounds like New York. You know, there's enough here that you're like, ooh. Couple things you can point at, yeah. Yeah, but the undead did not roam the earth. N- not near as we can tell, no. Within months, the rivers will flow with blood. Oh, there'll be a war or something. But this is all just so vague, it could mean anything. It's, it, it's like astrology and horoscopes. You say a bunch of things that are open-ended, and you can latch on to it, and the things that are open-ended and not quite right, you can be like, ah, I guess I can see that. Yeah. Like, I could make any sort of prediction and say, within months, the rivers will flow with blood. And that'll just be true somewhere, because some river somewhere will be flowing with blood. It's so vague and open-ended. And that's all this Q stuff. Yeah. Just none of it's hard or good predictions. It's all like, go find anomalies that match this and I'll be right. Some people like the act of decoding, even if it's not actually decoding. <sighs> there was a bunch of talk in the Q drops about the keystone, and they were trying to connect wiki leaks to Roger Stone. That's yeah, super weak and arbitrary. Yeah. Roger Stone was mixed up in this because he's a Republican operative doing his best to push Republican agendas, and he's probably really well paid. For yeah. So, of course, he's going to be wherever this shit is happening. Yeah. And I guess all this also centers around a website called The Goldwater that was publishing UFO stuff, Q stuff, and other nonsense. And it was Al- founded and owned by Jim. Yeah, alternative news, something to combat the mainstream media. Yeah, that whole narrative didn't last very long. I still don't, because I used to buy into the mainstream media thing too, like just generally hating on it, because I don't like how, I don't like certain aspects of mainstream media, Yeah, right? Like I dislike that they're producing more clickbait, right? They're, they're, they're... Clickbait and fear. They have a a vested interest. Yeah, exactly. But most of these mainstream news outlets aren't lying, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll spin things a little bit. To try to, yeah, they'll say things that are technically true. But on the outskirts of what's true to try to generate some sort of emotional response to get people to click the link or watch a little longer. Yeah. But when they say that, you know, so many people were killed, that's the correct amount. Mm-hmm. And if not, they usually issue corrections. Pretty quickly. Usually. Yeah. Reuters, AP News, people getting news from them. Actually, Reuters and AP News don't suffer from that because they're, they're the news wires. They collect a lot of stories and share them with the other news outlets. Yeah. But then uh, when CNN or MSNBC or one of the local outlets, like a local Fox station or a local ABC station, picks it up, they might spin it a little bit. So it turns from three dead in shooting to how many died in this shooting? We're still finding out. And you can technically say that because the investigation's ongoing and they may not have released all the information. So, But usually you know pretty quick how many people are dead. Yeah. It's not like people die two months later from getting shot. No. Yeah. But yeah, it's just an example of how information can be slightly twisted and not technically lying. 
But then you get sites that are slightly less reputable, like Fox News. Yeah. Fox has Fox does not issue retractions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sometimes they do, but they don't tend to issue retractions for their mainstream shows. And if they ever have to, because they used to issue retractions for Bill O'Reilly, they'd issue them early in the morning. So they go out of their way to make sure that the people that get the retractions don't also get that news unless they watch all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Fox also has been caught a couple times photoshopping things. Uh, and then not saying they photoshopped it. So they've been caught like adding plumes of smoke to devastation in various cities in the Middle East to make that shit look worse. But by and large, Fox still mostly tells the truth. And then you get to places that really make shit up. The one thing that I'm talking a little bit more about Fox, right wing news in general. So, I mean, this is going to be something that Fox is guilty of quite a bit. Uh, tends to, if you look at what they're saying in isolation, it is technically true, but it's often missing important context. So it which, might be true, but it might run counter to the body of evidence. Yeah, because they're, they're trying to steer conclusion to something that's favorable to them. So they'll leave out one tidbit of information about the story that steers people's perceptions in that direction. I suppose, yeah. I don't know. I've been avoiding, I've avoided Fox News completely since the Tucker Carlson news case, mm-hmm. where in court they used as a defense, people don't take us seriously. Yeah. Now, if somebody tries to use Fox News as a source, I'm like, give me a source that didn't in court say that they shouldn't be trusted. If you have a news personality on your news site that you will in court say isn't expected to provide reliable information, then I don't need information from your news outlet at all. Get rid of that person and start taking your job seriously as a news outlet. But like uh, before that, I actually looked at the Fox uh, decision desk for the election, right? Mm -hmm. They invested a ton of resources into getting that right. And they actually called a number of states really, really early. And what they were trying to do was trying to get back some support from more liberal people by being rigorous and sticking to the numbers. And this pissed off a bunch of Trump supporters because they're like, oh, they called Arizona for blue. But what Fox had done was Fox had issued a bunch of polls and paid for it on their own dime. And they'd gotten really good information like the week before the election. Fox could have predicted how the election turned out pretty close to accurately before any ballots were cast because they just had their finger on the pulse of how people were going to vote. And they called Arizona to be blue and it pissed a lot of people off. And uh, yeah, then they got to go and throw away credibility. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, where they settled with Trump's election, a lot of people just trying to claim Fox News is compromised. It doesn't fit their narrative. It's compromised. Yeah, I will use evidence to declare that they're compromised. Yeah. One other thing that this is less evidence based, but just more how people change their mind and don't always own up and say that in the documentary, Ron Watkins. So Code Monkey, he said that he supported the Christchurch mosques, the Christchurch mosque shooter, his right to have his manifesto on the site, and he wouldn't take it down and he refused to take it down because it was his right and he was he's just on the wrong side of the paradox of tolerance there. He, he probably He tried to make the make the claim that the manifesto would become stronger by taking it down. Yeah. There are arguments to be made for the Streisand effect. Mm-hmm. You want to explain the Streisand effect for anyone who doesn't know what it is? Streisand effect is basically when you have something that somebody is concerned about existing or being presented, then you they take it away. The act of taking it away 
makes it more lucrative to uh, just consume as content. So, and if you didn't take it away at all, then just a few people would have been interested. But because you're taking it away, it goes viral. Yeah. And this is named after uh, a popper. Was it a paparazzi shot of Barbara Streisand in her yeah. backyard? Yeah. She was topless. And then she put out a ton of requests and sued these people to get the thing taken there down. There was like maybe a dozen people that cared about that picture. But as soon as she aggressively took it down, it, it went viral and suddenly became thousands. Yep. So we named an effect after her. Yep. So he was arguing for this, but the Streisand effect only works if people think there's a right for that information to be out there, or if people are fundamentally interested in seeing this, or if the overwhelming amount of people support this, right? Mm -hmm. And also, the Streisand effect is for when you're trying to totally ban or totally bar things. You can do responsible things with terrorist manifestos, right? Like, store them in an archive that doesn't have comments. That's a good start, yeah. Yeah, and maybe promise to post it, but, you know, a year after the event happened, right? A nice little delay like that could uh, stop copycats, because the emotional fervor will be gone, but it'll be present and available for historians to, to do whatever they're going to do. Or restrict access to people with a, an immediate societal interest, like to news outlets, or military personnel, or police, or at least people who are willing to fill out a form and say that they need it, mm -hmm. so you can track who's got it. But putting it up on an image board where you then have copycats go out and do it, because then this documentary noticed the Poway shooting, California, another mosque shooter. Uh, Ron totally changed his tune and pulled that down. He said nine minutes. Yep. Nine minutes. He pulled this one down because now actual lives are on the line. And he realized that if you support hate speech, you support people organizing on their own. And Let's not say what Ron was or wasn't thinking too aggressively here. Sorry, you're right. I don't know what he was thinking, but he... He very obviously changed his stance. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to imply he was thinking that. I, I meant to just describe the paradox of tolerance again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just... You're right. I, I don't know what Ron was thinking. So Ron flipped enough to at least cut this, man, this second manifesto off the site. Yeah. And the paradox of tolerance just tells us that if you give people a place to be intolerant and to foment hate speech, eventually, if they're not checked, they'll escalate to violence because that's what people do. People act. If people honestly believe that, in this example, that Muslims don't belong in this country, they'll take guns to where the Muslims are and try to get them out of the country. And yeah, and Ron then acted and got rid of the second manifesto. Hmm. Yeah. He might have been under existential threat. Or other pressures. Yeah, I mean, like, there could have been threats to say, hey, if 8chan, isn't, if 8chan doesn't delete this, we're going to block you from this country. And I mean, New Zealand blocked him per the documentary. Mm -hmm. He very well could have been under threat from you know, half a dozen Middle Eastern countries. Just say, yeah, we won't let any of our people in if you, if you don't remove this stuff. And that could have been, you know, half his user base or something. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but I guess thinking about the episode in its entirety, at its conclusion, they're trying to put forth the idea that Ron Watkins is the current Q. And to that end, I think they've made a pretty good case. I wouldn't say it's like, oh, okay, we're done, case closed, pack it in, we now know. But it, they do make a really strong case for it happening. The one thing that I was wondering, and I did bring this up while we were watching the episode, was like, I'm not super familiar with all the Q drops, but apparently a bunch of the Q drops have some kind of, some amount of insider information uh, that's close to Trump. And I do remember citing from our previous record that like having post times that closely correlate with Trump's campaign itinerary, that's pretty good. Uh, it's not stellar, but it's pretty good. It's actual evidence. If there's 
a certain amount, if there's like a lot of that information that is in the initial cue drops, and then after the trip code changed, which is allegedly when Ron took over Q, if that information was absent from most of the cue drops there on after, uh, I would say that that's another really strong point towards Ron having co-opted Q. And that wasn't really discussed much in the episode. So discussing Q's legitimacy, going back to first Q, before there was any real opportunity for Ron to have taken it, yeah. he used the same trip code on 4chan and then on 8chan. So that's how we get that continuity. We believe that that same person, entity, whatever Q was, moved over. And the, we now know the password was Matlock. Yeah, that's absolute shit for a password. Yeah. A single word. Okay, there was one uppercase. Seven lowercase. M-A-T-L-O-C-K. Yeah, seven letters. That's a shit password. Yeah. Uh, so this guy's supposed to have a Q-level security clearance? Right, so remember, I worked at Stratcom briefly, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that building that does strategic command stuff for the Air Force? Yeah, important stuff, yeah. Right, okay. I temporarily had a top-secret clearance. Right? So an interim top-secret clearance is what I actually had, okay? I had a full-blown secret clearance and a full-blown classified clearance. Okay, so working your way up. Classified's the lowest level stuff, right? Stuff like where troops might be going. Secret is like really dangerous stuff like how many troops are going there. Top secret is like, why are they going there? What is their goal? And are they likely to succeed or fail? When you get above that, there's a group of clearances called Top Secret SCI. That's Secret Compartmentalized Information. And they don't label them Q or whatever. They label them after your fucking job. So I, <laughs> I did not have any SCI clearances, but I worked with people who had SCI clearances on things at Stratcom. So if they worked in the nuclear missile room, right, it would be something about nuclear missiles would be the name of the clearance they had. And I, I can't say what those clearances are because I'm legally bound not to. But whatever you dealt with, that's what you got as a clearance. And it wasn't, it's not a single letter. They're, 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 these, these people aren't edgelords. They're doing real serious work. There's no Q-level clearance. It's SCI and then the job. That's that's the thing above top secret. And even then, that it is just a form of top secret. Yeah. All right, so this guy had this crazy super special clearance and the dude picks Matlock as a password? Okay, sure. Totally plausible. This guy totally works for Trump. Well, that doesn't debunk whether or not he works for Trump. It, it debunks, debunks that he's competent and worked for Trump. Competent at security or tech. But he could still be somebody with an un, a, a job not necessarily related to tech that is close to Trump. I suppose. He could totally be an intern or a staffer or a marketing person. Yeah could be any of these things i'm just ruling out that it's any sort of special agent any sort of it's oh, not, definitely not it's not general flynn the dude's a traitor but he's not an idiot yeah <sighs> yeah it, it's it's not anybody military who ever had to deal with uh, it might be a marine they eat crayons <laughs> do you want to share with the audience your, the story of you at almost getting into the marines oh oh so this has to do with another reason why i podcast instead of stream Okay, so I was down on my luck and looking for jobs, right? No shit. I was like working at McDonald's and what is it? I went to an I went to an Air Force recruiter, right? Mm -hmm. Talked to them and they said that I wasn't physically fit enough. And I'm like, oh well, I'll shape up in basic, it'll be fine. Right. And when I say I'm not physically fit, I am fucking fat, right? I am way out of shape and I would not I do not look good on a camera. You need the wide angle lens. It's just no, no, don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. I went to the army recruiter. The army recruiter's like, hmm. I'm, uh, you know, we talked a little bit and he's like, oh yeah, our basic training's way longer. We could totally whip you into shape, but you know, I think you'd be better suited with these guys. And he walked me across the hall to a Marine recruiter and the Marine recruiter is like, oh yeah, we can do something with you. Come on in. 
And I'm thinking about it, and the Marine recruiter actively wants me. And it's at that moment I realize I don't want to be a part of any group that would willingly have me. I'm recording. Same. You recording? Yeah, good this time. Okay. This recording? Yes, I'm recording. Okay. All right, so we just watched episode four. Of six, yes. And this is grating on you, isn't it? Uh, yes and no, for a few different reasons. So there were a couple different things that happened in this episode that really make one ask questions about evidence. Yeah. Um, they kept hammering home on how they think, or at least in the beginning, that it looked like Ron and Jim were Q. Right up until right in the middle, there was kind of a surprise bombshell revelation. And Ron said that Steve Bannon was Q. Mm-hmm. And then Ron claimed to provide some information. Things like IP addresses, geolocation information. Device images. information. Yeah. yeah. And this, you always have to question the source. Ron, being the only person who manipulates the code of 8chan, is the only person who could collect and gather that data. There is no chain of custody here. There's no way to verify it. If Ron produces it and it's wrong, it's wrong. So he could still be lying and he still could be Q. Or somebody could be lying to him. It is possible to fake a lot of that kind of information. I feel like me speculating, not making anything declarative here, but I feel like doctoring all of that information is simply beyond the the effort of Ron. Hmm. Uh, But I do think that doctoring some of that information, like if he wanted to make it look like he simply never was Q, particularly after the, the alleged switch that Q had from one writing style to another, where presumably Ron took over, if he took that data and simply changed a few timestamps to reflect some of this information pointing at Steve Bannon happened after that, that is a low effort thing to try to keep it off him that I think he could do. Well, so I think that this documentary is intentionally trying to portray Ron in as poor a light as possible, right? Ron doesn't seem like he needs all that much help there, but... That's true. But you're right. In one part, it was totally unrelated. They're making very serious claims and allegations. They show Ron shopping for toys, and he looks up the skirt of this of this action figure. And, and gives it an approving look when he does so. Yeah, and then, yep, there were, there were some emotions on his face there. And there are a couple moments like that where it's clear that it's like, we're just getting into this guy's perversions. Mm-hmm. That's not related to this. No. And looking at it objectively, we've said bad things about Ron's technical skills. Well, one of the first times we did, we acknowledged that he could also just be lying. That's true. And what was shown in this episode certainly suggests that. But we have no reason to believe him to be lazy. Even this documentary is incapable of painting him as lazy. He does produce results. He did produce a very popular webpage that fosters a ton of discussion. So if he wanted to fake evidence... I don't think it would be difficult for him to write a little script that would fabricate plausible-looking evidence. Like you say, changing some timestamps, not hard. But neither is writing an SQL query that duplicates posts, or writing a bash script that changes, that, that, that copies old metadata and writes it onto new posts. Things like locations, geotags, timestamps. You know, you can adjust that stuff based on old versions of it and apply it to the new things. We'd have no way to know. The reporter certainly wouldn't know. He seems somewhat technical, but he's not a coder. While this is all technically true, I haven't picked up anything from the documentary that gives an actionable reason to believe that Ron started Q. No, no, I'm not trying to claim Ron started Q. I'm just saying that he could be Q, and like you were saying earlier, the Steve Bannon thing. Whoever Q was before, he could be copying that metadata, or he could just be copying Steve Bannon's metadata to try to paint him that way. Well... Because if Steve Bannon posted just once or twice to the site, 
You could copy that and make things that look plausibly like that. Or it could just be Steve Bannon. That's true. The reason that the creator of the documentary gave at the end of the episode for believing it's not Steve Bannon was pretty thin. It was stupid, in my opinion. Mm. If Steve Bannon thinks that he can get more rootless white males on his side by pretending to be a George Flynn ally, I see no reason why he wouldn't do it. Oh, yes. At the very end of the episode, they said that uh, Steve Bannon hates uh, hates General Flynn. And that was the whole reason we're like, we really don't believe this. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then also he's like, well, it would be silly to to make it look like it's your own IP address. Why would he do that? Well, this is the same guy that had the operational security and shows the password Matlock. So, I mean, yeah, he's not maybe he's not making it look like that. Maybe he's done something else. Do we have any other information to suggest that Steve Bannon is actually tech savvy? No, not really. He's. He has some skills in terms of establishing an internet presence that seems to be in terms of hiring engineers. Yeah. yeah. He finds people with the other skills. Like his ability to craft a message, it seems to be his skill. And yep. that is something that Q seems to be very proficient at. The skill overlaps there are tremendous. Yeah. Something else that makes everybody in this story much less sympathetic is the less than subtle racist messaging. Mm-hmm. One thing, I guess this, this no... I guess there is this notion of wrapping names of things in triple brackets. Any kinds of brackets, they use parentheses and curly brackets this episode. Yeah. If you're a white supremacist and you want to highlight someone who's Jewish, you wrap it in three brackets. And to anybody else who's not familiar with these messages, like most people wouldn't be, it, it, isn't, a, it isn't a thing. Yeah, I wasn't familiar prior to this episode. Nor was I. But the administrators of 8chan were, and they coded into it that it changes it to white and blue, the colors of the Israeli flag, to better highlight that they're Jewish. Yeah. They even pointed this out at one point to their lawyer, and the jo- and the lawyer was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a quarter Jew. And they were like, oh, we'll just stop this line of discussion then. The admins put actual engineering effort, granted, not a ton, but still engineering effort into a system that supports communicating anti-Semitic messages. That is kind of telling. They also uh, got a an anonymous donation to help them pay for a lawyer. It was $14,088. Yeah. And the reporter at least feigned ignorance. Maybe he didn't know what it meant at all. But they went straight to the 88 representing the... HH. For, yeah, for Heil Hitler. And the 14 representing Hitler's 14 words. And they called that out. It wasn't anybody saying that they're doing this. That was them. They got an amount of money. They, they got a donation in that amount. And they recognized it for that. Yeah. So no one's calling them racist. They acknowledged it was... At a minimum, they have a keen understanding of white supremacist messaging. Yeah. So that all is very interesting. (laughs) And again, back to what we said earlier, if or what I said earlier, if you let or encourage this very racist kind of messaging, you're going to push out all the people who don't want to hear that or who don't want to be threatened or don't want to be the butt of jokes about pushing people into a into a gas chamber, into an oven. Mm-hmm. Freaking Fred Phelps has, he has some sort of disorder that makes him very tiny. And they make jokes about putting him on a plate and stuffing him in the oven. And he's just laughing. He looks super uncomfortable while it's going on, too. It's ridiculous that they caught it on film. Yeah. It looked like it was a... Like a phone video from that Jim himself was holding. Yeah. Yeah. There was also a ton of uh, shooters. Going back to the, if you foment the messages of hate, you, you get hate and action on hate. Yep. They, there were so many references to shooting events that they stopped calling them out individually at a point and just said, 
yeah, there was another shooting. <laughs> and for all but one of them, the author posted a manifesto to 8chan, and the one that they didn't, the New York Times said the, that he posted to 8chan, and then he didn't, because 8chan was down. That was the only time that... Yeah, it was a different messaging board. They just knee-jerked it to 8chan. I'm going to check something real quick. Sure. New York Times... The New York Times also issued a retraction. Yes. I'm curious if there's, for all these Chan sites, because they're so low budget and they're... Minimalist by modern web design standards. Yeah, and they run in the the shadier parts of the internet, and they don't have a lot of legal recourses because they do dabble in a lot of illegal stuff, so they're not going to be the first people to go to lawyers. I'm wondering if there was another website, because there's a ton of these websites that start off 8 and then some word, 8kun, 8chan, there's some with different top-level domains, so there's like, and then, well, what is it, there's 8ch.net, 8chan.net, 8chan.org, 8kun.net, and then there's just all these variations. They're not all run by Ron and Jim, I don't think. Maybe it was a site that was 8-something-dot-whatever that had another one of these very laissez-faire to whatever gets posted. Like, random intern says, oh, it's an 8-something. Someone else is like, 8-chan? It's like, oh, that might be right. Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect that's what happened, but I'm just going to check and see. Okay, I'll, I'm not going to keep digging. I, I just searched for it, and there's so many shooters. I'm sorry, there's so many shooting events that all the stories are of manifestos being posted from other people and ISPs stopping routing or otherwise shutting down or getting rid of 8chan it's uh even if that one was wrong there is a pattern yeah for sure yeah and the new york times on that one even issued a retraction mm. yep uh, do we have any other thoughts on this uh, well as long as we're talking about like patterns and enabling on 8chan they did also point out this episode that right on like one of the, the front page or i forget exactly what page they implied that it was pretty prominent the words Embrace yeah. infamy. That's a great little catchphrase when nothing bad is happening, but then as soon as bad things start happening and you're like, embrace infamy while there's shooters, that's just tasteless, right? I don't... Yeah, at a minimum, it's yeah. tone deaf. And at worst, at, yeah, at worst, it's... How worse? How bad is it? I'm, I'm not seeing the depths of depravity It, it here. could be an active call for more shootings. If it was up there before shooting started at all? I don't know when it was put up there. It was my understanding. It was like version 1.0, embrace infinity, run with it. Because I think they said that in even in earlier episodes, and I'm, I swear I've seen it because I've visited 8chan before seeing this documentary. I think it's been there the whole time. Maybe not. I don't know. But you asked for the depths of depravity. There you have it. If they put it up with the shooter, yeah, that would be the depths of depravity. I would agree. Nothing else terribly amazing this episode, just the revelation. Steve Bannon. I mean, that that seems like a really, really strong contender for Q. Uh, One thing that did absolutely frustrate me, aside from all the cringe from the various people. They kept showing, like, the sexual nonsense cringe stuff from Ron. Yeah. And it wasn't just Ron, but yeah, like. That he was not a, he was not ashamed to do any of that on, or say or do or broadcast that stuff to the world. Yeah. yeah, he was pretty confident, for better or for worse, about that behavior. But uh, one thing that's definitely really bothering me is that they're making these new claims and they're not taking the time, at least so far, to to tie them in with other older claims. Like I still keep coming back to okay, if you're going to hinge on the idea that there was a switch between old QAnon and new QAnon, and you're establishing that some things changed, when you make a new claim, test that claim to that old information. And they're just not doing that in the last two episodes, and that's really starting to grate on me. Mm. Yeah, this documentary is like most documentaries. It is not itself great evidence, but it might it might be a good starting point if you want to begin researching a thing on your own. There's two more episodes, so I have my fingers a little bit crossed, but yeah. it's not looking good. It doesn't seem like it's super great about uh, providing 
sources for external research. Yeah. Yeah. It It is great that it is providing direct interviews from people who have information, mm-hmm. but that seems like it's more of a way to get viewpoints, and it's not like it's giving us documentation. It's not giving us the evidence firsthand. We don't get to see the data that, like, Ron provided that convinced the reporter who's making this. Mm-hmm. For all we know, that could have been one text file with, like, five lines of, herder, it's Steve Bannon, or it could have been a database full of nearly impossible to verify cryptographically check some things that, while theoretically manipulable, would have been practically impossible, right? There's this whole range of how strong that evidence could be, and because because it is a documentary, as opposed to, like, a scientific paper or a police investigation, there's no good way to get access to that stuff. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, mm-hmm. and this doesn't relate to the episode at all, I did research Q-level clearances. Okay. There is a thing that the Department of Energy issues called a Q-level clearance. Oh, neat. The reason I wouldn't have known about it is because I was in the Department of Defense. Very different things, except, and I should have known about this, the Department of Defense and Department of Energy do collaborate with regards to nuclear weapons because they're very energetic. Yes. This is uh, more of the like anomaly hunting type thing, I think. So what kind of... You provided some examples of like the, the breakdowns of the kind of information that is present on each of the clearances with the Department of Defense. What kind of clearance does Q-level clearance give you? That's all DOE stuff. And the reading I said just said the clearance level exists. I can't imagine it would provide you access to Donald Trump's itinerary because that's not very energetic. There's only so much energy you can fit into a few Big Macs. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It hypothetically could be related to nuclear weapons, right? So if we're talking about somebody high up in government, that happens. Mm-hmm. It also could be related to how nuclear power plants work. I wouldn't know if there were something else. Like, I don't think there's any sort of coal-powered or wind-powered security clearance. Yeah, I can't imagine there would be. Maybe that's where they're keeping all the coal cleaning brushes under that Q-level clearance. Clean coal works. We just, we're not ready for it. Can't let it fall in the hands of China. (laughs) It's fucked up because China (laughs) actually burns a fuckload of coal. (laughs) It would be so good for the world if we had these secret coal cleaning brushes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. I guess that's all we have to say. Yeah. I mean, it was a mostly straightforward episode that made some good points and other terrible points. Yeah. Two more to go. I am curious as to what more bombs they're going to try to drop. There's so many possibilities in my brain. They're like, no, let's try this one. Let's try this one. No, pick one. Why is the intro the best time for us to record interstitials? This is so good. Okay, so we just got done watching episode five of our review of Q Into the Storm. Yeah, kind of starting to get a little bit off the rails, in my opinion. Yeah, this felt more like a drama than like a documentary. Well, the the second half was covering Fred's interactions with the you know, Watkinses. Yeah, so and weird. his escape from Manila. Yeah, and that was pretty deliberately structured as a drama. Now, to be fair, there is quite a bit of drama in that story, but... He was playing it up a bit much, but the other parts, it was really, really complicated what they were trying to do with claiming that there was a military intelligence group <laughs> and then they were funneling information and that was like Cicada was involved. And I, I think a lot of that was deliberate on the documentaries part just to show how full of shit these people are. How there's this army of Northern Virginia that's feeding Trump intelligence and... Yeah, that does kind of 
beg the the question like as much as they were trying to build this narrative that all these interactions exist and at least within their their own criteria of demonstrating these things they they do demonstrate there's connections between these people but they don't really offer anything in the way of proof nothing like meaningfully tangible about any of these claims and it's just it's getting more and more difficult to take the documentary seriously yeah and uh, i do want to distinguish the difference between a proof and evidence right you can have a lot of evidence for something but not have it proven they're not even presenting a lot of evidence yeah they're just they're making claims they're saying hey these people were associated because of this thing and then we're left with okay that's something i guess but what about the specific claim you're making now do you got anything for that oh no okay on this topic of the evidence i feel like this documentary tries to make a big deal out of a lot of the weak evidence they have like they keep going back to how q posts pictures of pens and watches and how this is supposed to be such this this great tie back to ron and jim Mm -hmm. ron who collects pens and both ron and jim collect watches and it's like that's not really a big deal correction jim collects the pens yeah jim collects pen oh oh, uh, i said it wrong sorry yeah Yeah. jim the father collects pens and ron and jim both collect watches yep neither of those are rare activities right it just doesn't narrow down and we don't even know that q does he just took a picture of a he takes occasional pictures of pens and watches yeah they could belong to someone else that q was just nearby for all we know yeah that's that is evidence of a sort but it's really weak Mm-hmm. The less possibilities evidence excludes, the weaker the evidence is. Yeah. The documentary isn't devoid of real evidence. Like, there are people who, when they were talking between the phone call where there were three people on the line. Oh, yeah. And two people were asking Ron for his help. And they kind of implied that, yeah, Ron, you're going to be running the website and Q's going to show up, right? And they were just like, you're going to make Q show up. And then another thing that looks like evidence, but a lot of people might not take as evidence, is the website still wasn't up correctly and Q was posting. Yeah, seemingly with no issues. Maybe he did have issues, but... Yeah, hence seemingly. Yeah. yeah. If you post on a web page before the web page is up, that's the people who make the web page put the post in there before the web page went up. Yeah. That's super strong evidence, but I think for the sake of adding drama, they didn't just say, hey, look, this proves Ron is Q. I mean, Mm -hmm. unless there were like weird intermittent ISP issues, which... That was kind of my takeaway, that it was, there were intermittent issues. It's a stability problem. Looking at it as objectively as possible, the documentary never says. That's true. The webpage could have been down, or there could have been intermittent issues, and that would be very easy to describe. Yeah, this is a very sloppy investigative work. Like, small details like this are definitely things they should be hammering at, and they're just not. It's not even investigative work. They are setting up a narrative. They're not trying to investigate. If we were in the first couple episodes, I kind of would give that a pass, and I think if you listen to the conversation, we largely did. But we're getting towards the end. We're in episode five of six, right? There's a point where you got to stop playing at the drama and deliver facts if you're going to be delivering facts. They're definitely pushing their own narrative for sure yeah if they weren't pushing their own narrative they would just give us a bunch of evidence right look at a wikipedia page a wikipedia page just gives you a bunch of evidence and enough context enough description that if you're not familiar with that topic you can walk away with an understanding yeah that said the claims that they've made are possible maybe even plausible but the way they're presenting it i can't really say that it's all that convincing at this point we have one more episode so maybe but i don't know i don't know yeah, there's also, this is the first time they did bring up that General Valley with his army of North Virginia thing. If there was anything to that, it seems like really late in the game to bring up something that big and major. They're just focusing on the drama that they captured between Fred on one side and the Watkins and company on the other. Well, I'm naively presuming that they're presenting evidence in the or- chronological order in which they gathered it. 
That could be flawed. I think we're meant to gather that impression. But again, because they didn't just put all the evidence out there, we don't know if that's what they're doing. They could be deliberately withholding certain information yeah. to produce a different narrative. I guess I haven't really been paying super close attention to the timestamps they've been showing. I was about to say, like, they probably timestamp everything and to more clearly establish a timeline, but they, they do. I'm just not paying super close attention to them. Well, they do have that timeline thing that they bring up, but at no point do they explicitly say, we're going to give you everything in the order we captured it. So I think most of the stuff we get is in the order we captured it, but like General Valley, his involvement in support of Trump was known in 2015. So why is he coming up now? I mean, in the story now, they had things both from 2015 and February 2020. So they're not presenting it in a strictly chronological order. And I'm not saying that the order is deliberately confusing. Maybe they tried to pick an order that would be as deliberately not confusing as possible. But I can't know unless I've seen the evidence both in the way they present it and in a way where I can parse through it however I choose to. I, I get that General Valley's involvement was uh, something that was known or to be known as far back as, like you said, 2015. Mm. But uh, when I say chronological order, I don't mean like in any absolute sense, but rather the filmmaker's own chronology chronology of understanding these things. Mm. So as facts became exposed to him, that's how he's exposing it? To us. Chronological order from a perspective. His perspective, specifically. I, if I was, again, to give him benefit of the doubt, that's what I would presume is the purpose for the order in which these things are being presented. Granting the filmmaker the benefit of the doubt, that seems to be a reasonable take also. That said, I think there is a motive here on the filmmaker's part. For sure. I don't know what that motive is. It might be as simple as add as much drama and tension as possible to make as gripping a story as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean. The shit hitting the fan really sells. Otherwise, Tiger King wouldn't have been possible. Oh, God's sakes, Tiger King. These people are almost as dysfunctional. Almost. But it's just that the stakes are so much higher. Yeah, I think, well, okay, you're right. The stakes are higher, but I also want to believe that it's proximity to tech might also be playing a cultural influence here. How so? Well, as bad as Tiger King is, they're exactly how close to tech at any given time? Well, they're in Kansas or Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Or, you know, the, yeah, okay. So Rural, but each of Oklahoma. those places are equidistant to tech, right? Very far away. <laughs> I think if you bring a cell phone into Oklahoma, it just catches fire. Sure. Meanwhile, both Ron and Fred are literally programmers. Uh, yeah, but they're really dysfunctional people. <laughs> <laughs> like, they are functional enough to get to a keyboard. Sure. Not saying that they're not dysfunctional. You're making uh, you know, I actually, hyperbole out of this. I actually think Tiger King, like the man himself, is probably more functional than... Oh, God, no. Absolutely not. That's straight bullshit. Don't make me rewatch it. <laughs> I will if you were going to make that statement. Fine. If you're going to make me watch it, it means you're sitting there. I'm going to claim the Tiger King guy... Why do I have to be punished? ...is more functional <laughs> than Ron Watkins. <laughs> uh... Man, fuck this bullshit. No, seriously, though, they, they're dysfunctional and they're highlighting the dysfunction for the camera. Yes. They did more of the try to highlight Ron's lechery and it's just not relevant to the story. If they were interested in presenting the facts, they could leave the lechery out of it. There's a certain amount of that that does kind of help to build a case for motivation, but I do believe they've gone beyond that point. You don't need that motivation here. I don't see a connection between wanting weird porn and Q. Yeah, that specifically, you're right. That's a useless connection, even if one can be made. I mean, the connection, depending on how it exists, might matter. Like, I don't know. What if Q is also really into Rule 34? I mean, some people aren't. <laughs> there are any number of ways to get there with the facts. 
I'm not going to judge someone if they're following the evidence and it happens to traverse through porn territory. Mm -hmm. This story did not need it. You could remove it all from this story and the story would remain the same, except for the quality of Ron's character. He seems like a geek if you remove all the porn and lechery. He seems like a horrible pervert if you leave it in. None of that actually connects to his guilt or innocence or Q's reality or truth or however close Q is to anybody politically. It's just there to try to set him up as a villain and I think be an affront to most people's sensibilities. If you can make somebody feel grossed out, you can use that emotion to paint the the subject of that grossness as as a villain. Mm -hmm. People don't operate on logic most of the time. Mm -hmm. I also did, since you asked me, I did do a little bit more reading into Q-level clearances. Instead of five minutes, I read 10 minutes this time. Oh, fun. As I guessed, they are for nuclear weapons. Inside the Department of Energy, there's L-level clearances, Q-level clearances, and there was some silly government acronym, like C-Windy or something, but it's a compartmentalized information for nuclear weapons or something. I forget. There's no freaking vowels, and I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. After Q and L-level clearances, I thought you were going to say S-level clearance. Okay, I missed the joke. S-Q-N-L. That's a terrible programmer joke. Why did I miss this? That's so bad. Thank you. SQL is the structured query language. It's exactly the kind of thing Ron would have to know about so he could insert fake Q posts into his webpage. I guess that's everything. Yeah, one more episode remains. I do not exactly have high hopes for it, but maybe. I don't know. Tiger King was fun. Well, just because people are incapable of looking away from a car wreck. If you have a paper, or, okay, yeah, I was right. I was reading the wrong line. Let me phrase that again since it befuddled you for a moment. I was just double checking your word choice. It it fucked up. Okay, so we just finished watching episode six of Q Into the Storm, and that completed this... Documentary miniseries? Crazy adventure. Pure madness. It's probably some of those. It was okay. It wasn't great. Yeah, could have been better. I'm still still curious to see how it shapes up compared to the real research. It came to the conclusion, more or less, that Ron was Q. Yeah. Which wasn't really a surprise looking into it. Some of the pieces of evidence that they gave us, granted, I'm not a big fan of Colin. He's the the journalist. I'm not a big fan of his uh, presentation of some of the technical details. Like, how did Q post? Yeah. Right, that one, if he would have gotten one tech expert on it for like, I don't know, a day or two, probably could have nailed it home. Just conclusively proven. No, this one fact proves it. But he's got a string of, like, weak circumstantial evidence. Mm -hmm. It's enough to convince people beyond a reasonable doubt. It's good enough for the court of public opinion, but it's not good enough for actual court. It might be good enough for actual court. That's a really good lawyer, maybe. You'd be surprised how far you can get in actual court without a whole lot. It depends what you're trying to get. I've heard stories going either way. That's true. Yeah, there's very little hard evidence that they presented. There's a lot more they could have done there. Yeah, most of it was was pretty weak. And, like, the best evidence they had, like you said, they, they didn't really zero in on sufficiently to uh, make the evidence better. Like, how did Q post on the website that was supposedly down? Yeah. And the big gotcha at the end was Ron fucking up once while he was talking, which proves literally nothing. I mean, it looked bad, and Ron did lie a lot, and all the lies taken together do tell us he's got something to hide. Yeah, there's something there, but that something does not need for him to be Q. Yeah, it still seems like he's the most likely person, but that's what we're left with. A most likely, not a concrete proven thing. It's not like evolution or gravity. Yeah. We still have to do that evolution episode. There's going to be religious zealots who argue with that. I still argue daily with these people on LinkedIn of all places. Mm -hmm. It's like people on Reddit know better than to try to argue about evolution outside of like the Christianity subreddit. Pretty much. The people just downvote and move on. Yeah, or the debate evolution subreddit's fun for about three seconds because people show up, use the exact same tired argument, and then the there's like actual scientists there and internet historians who are like, 
Yeah, this argument was first posted here. Here's how the scientists rejected it in 1987. Then a slew of modern scientists come in and say, oh yeah, and all these scientific predictions that wouldn't work if, if what you said is true, they work. And here's medicine based on it, for example. So you're wrong. Next. Yep. When you do something enough, you can have even explaining science down to a science. <laughs> uh, would we recommend this to people? I guess we, we don't know that until we've done our research on whether or not it's being honest. So if you want a primer on the Q phenomenon, I would recommend this series. But if you want to answer the question, who is QAnon, I would not recommend this series. All right. I will reserve judgment until I've fact-checked as much as I can, because I haven't looked at many outside sources for a lot of their claims. Yeah. Oh, and be ready for some weird stuff. In the first few episodes, they really want to hammer home how degenerate these Chan boards are. Mm -hmm. So they take a lot of, like, unfiltered pictures and share that shit. Yeah, that's so a, mostly in the beginning of the series. Yeah, yeah, the first three episodes, I think, is where most of it is. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of pictures of horrible debauchery, random racism. I remember there was one picture where they took a politician and they photoshopped him into some foreskin. So it looked like he was, like, wearing it like a sleeping bag. That was kind of nightmarish. I don't remember that one. I'm glad for that. Oh, that was the one I kept talking about. Oh. It was between, I want to say, a picture of Donald Trump with abs and Lola Bunny with a huge dick. Okay. You know, if that's not a ringing endorsement of this. Really? <laughs> uh, and the amount of anti-Semitism is just off the chart. This is very common in the movement. Oh, yeah. Uh, not from the documentary. Yeah. I mean, the documentary documented that, I think. But the amount of anti-Semitism that I saw lined up with my experience with these boards. Tons of pictures of Jewish caricatures. Lots of talks about hoarding shekels and just racist ways to talk about it and lots of jokes about killing jewish people mm -hmm. you have any other thoughts or insights one thing that there is like a, a minor like clarification on something that i said in our review of the last episode i kind of speculated that the information was being presented in the order in which the filmmaker was learning things mm -hmm. and after watching this episode and remembering some of the structure of the previous episodes i'm actually very very confident that that's exactly how this documentary is structured and they did cover all the way up to and a little bit past the January 6th insurrection. And so I haven't really been following Q stuff very closely. It's mostly just anytime it reaches the, the headlines and news stories that I happen to read. And there has been a slight slowdown, like more of a kind of a transition in how it's been presented that I've noticed. Like I've seen people refer to Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, and instead of being a, a GOP congressperson she's a gqp congressperson i've noticed that there's definitely the venn diagram of conservatives gopers trumpers and cures qanons yeah. and it very much lines up with trump supporters and qanon believers they're overlapping circles completely and that about half overlaps with the GOP, which is all inside of the conservative sphere. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a pretty substantial amount of influence there and an overlap. So I've seen Q still appear in news headlines in that form quite a bit. But aside from that, I haven't really seen or heard much from like Q directly. Like, oh, Q says this. And if I'm to take the documentary at face value, then it sounds like Q himself is pretty much done. That, that was definitely the impression that I got by the end of the documentary. Yeah, I don't follow Q directly, so I guess in our research between now and the final segment of this episode, we're going to uh, see if those suspicions are accurate or not. Yeah, that was an unexpected thing. Even if it is just an implication, I would have figured Q is still going strong. Yeah, even if the people behind 8chan aren't running it anymore, which said tentatively, somebody else can 
pick that up. Yeah. I mean, you just need to get that password out there somehow. Yeah. All right. I guess we'll do some research and throw some more links in there. Yep. We have completely run out of interstitial material. Okay, so a few days ago, we finished up watching Q Into the Storm. Mm-hmm. We've done some of our own research. We've got a bunch of sources. We've read a bunch. And we'll put all these sources in the show notes. But I figured we could discuss what we thought. Yeah. Do you want to kick it off? Uh, so overall impressions of the documentary. Uh, I do feel that a few parts of it included some unnecessary drama. And it's not to say that some of these things are uninteresting. But I just don't think that they're necessarily directly relevant to the question of who is Q, which seems to be the overall theme. And it takes time away from other things that could be exploring that in more depth. I did find an AMA by Cullen on Reddit after we finished watching, and he said that he... For anyone not familiar, an AMA is Ask Me Anything. People actually ask him questions, he answers. Yeah, he said that he recorded 1,700 hours of footage, and we got to see six of that. And I know most footage doesn't really get to to see the final product, but even that seems like a heavily skewed ratio. I imagine the higher quality of the product, the uh, more is left on the cutting room floor. That's why for each one of our episodes, we have 20,000 hours of audio that we record, and we only keep the one that's the best. Right. (laughs) That is a thing. No, seriously, though, we we record uh, one and a half times to about twice as much as what you hear. Yeah. So that tells you the the amount he left on the cutting room floor. That's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But that does mean that there's plenty of room for him to have been tilted and slanted or present things inaccurately or or otherwise lie to us. But I I don't feel that he did that. No, I don't feel he did either. And I agree with your assessment. There were some parts that were really dramatic that didn't contribute to anything in the Q narrative either. I think the biggest standout there is Fred's escape from uh, the Philippines. Yeah. I mean, that was really dramatic. Yeah, and it was it's interesting on its own. It's yeah. just not relevant to the larger question the documentary is about. I also feel like maybe even the answering who Q is, that might not have been what he originally went into it with. He might have been just trying to document the QAnon phenomenon. He said in his AMA he was doing both. Okay. That, that's what he told every QAnon he came across, that he was very forward with his objectives and that it was both of those. Yeah. So on that, we have sources. I think we tried to verify separately who Q was. Yeah, the question of like the the before and after. I tried doing some more research on some of the the more concrete facts, if there are any, about the the split before the between the original Q and the second Q. And regrettably, there aren't very many. Pretty much what was shown in the documentaries about it. It's not a very well studied phenomenon. Yeah, um, I tried to go to Wikipedia and start reading the sources, mm-hmm. and the page for Ron Watkins had like a hundred sources. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So I picked some that I thought were particularly noteworthy uh, to just see what I could verify and what I could learn about. And one thing that stuck out was how ridiculously racist the Watkins are. And I think the documentary really tried to play that down, if anything. There was one point where uh, Ron created a cryptocurrency and he based like the company and everything that was making the cryptocurrency out of Japan. And then they, they sold this for fundraising. Like they would take, you could participate in this program they had where you'd buy this cryptocurrency and you could pay for ads with that. And the name of this program was The King of the Shekel. Okay. Just let's bake some anti-Semitism right there into our advertising program. So the documentary did touch on some anti-Semitic notions, uh, particularly white supremacy, that was exhibited by the the Watkinses. But I agree that they didn't quite go 
very deep into all of that in the documentary. Like they they showed enough to make it clear that it's there and that it's bad, but they didn't really give it as much to show that it, how bad it is. It almost cost them a lawyer at one point. Really? Well, I mean, just the the whole uh, bracket thing, anti-Semitism thing, and the lawyer's like, I'm a quarter Jewish. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I could very easily see someone being like, okay, yeah, yeah you're, you're, I'm not going to be here for a second case. I don't care about the money. Yeah. Fuck off, guy. I imagine most lawyers would be like that. Yeah, there's rules where they can drop you as a client, but like not in the middle of a case or, or not, not, not at certain points in time where it would fuck the client over. Yeah. If you want to hear more about, about that, go listen to the Opening Arguments podcast. There was a whole episode about that. <laughs> God, now I gotta go dig that up and put that in the show notes, don't I? Yes, you do. Okay, well, something that's already in the show notes. The 538 podcast recently discussed whether or not asking people if they were a member of QAnon was a good use of polling or bad use of polling, and they cited PRRI. And you did a ton of reading on this, and I, and I read it too, but yep. it, it asked people three questions. So the three questions that the PRRI questionnaire survey uh, provides are, one, the government, media, and financial worlds in the U.S. are controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run a global child sex trafficking operation. Mm-hmm. I guess, okay, that's a statement, but the, the question is agree or disagree. Yeah. Uh, the second one is, there is a storm coming soon that will sweep away the elites in power and restore their rightful leaders. And the third one is, because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Something that the 538 crew noted about that last question Mm -hmm. was that even though way more Republicans and conservatives feel that a use of violence against the government is justified right now, that number has been trending up. And it's some high single-digit number between 7 and 9%, according to this poll and other similar polls. But a few decades ago, even when George W. Bush had been accused of stealing the 2000 election, that was like a one or a two percent. Yeah. Everybody is more comfortable with the idea of violence, and that's kind of horrifying. Everyone's more tense. That's been shown in every like stress survey regarding human or American politics in the recent years. Per this PRRI survey, something like 15 percent of Americans are QAnons. They, they believe Q exists or believe some of the tenets of this. They answered yes, that they agree to that stuff. Yeah. To all three of those. So when you have a large segment of the population believing absolute nonsense, like seriously, one of the questions was about a Satan-worshipping cabal that smuggles children? Yep. If somebody believes that, you can't have a conversation based in evidence and logic with them. You just can't. So there's going to be divisiveness. And if they decide something ridiculous... Eventually, you're going to decide, you know what? Maybe I don't want to live in a theocracy. Maybe violence is justified at some point. And that's a really scary idea. I don't think we're there right now. No. But, I mean, I get it. We could be there in the next five, ten years, depending. Could be. If there's another wannabe autocrat like Trump. Oh, God, that's horrifying. Yep. Or maybe even Trump himself. I don't know. Even if he is indicted and arrested and put in prison, there's no rule saying he can't run for president from prison where he could then pardon himself. The self-pardon has not been tested. I mean, if he gets elected from prison, the self-pardon doesn't need to be tested. The Constitution's done. Eh. I mean, we have so many people believing abject nonsense that it doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It's support Trump or, or bust. Potentially. Uh, maybe I'm being too extreme. There's a lot of different ways a lot of different things can go. People are going to be digging at every single technicality on both sides to get what they want. And it's just it's too many different actors, too many different rules to really say what's going to happen. Mm. I'm presuming the rules will stop mattering a lot. Oh, we'll make new rules. We'll make new rules. That's how these things go. I suppose. Ugh. 
Let's try to find some cheerier topic than the potential downfall of Western democracy. Yep. <sighs> you know, we're still talking about Q. There's there's no brighter topic here. Yeah, the whole topic is Q. Uh, so it seemed to me like they only spent the first couple episodes discussing Q drops. Uh, they reference back to Q drops, but yeah, they didn't go as in detail about the Q drops after. Yeah, they, they just talked about them enough to say, yeah, this is obvious nonsense. And the fifty three forty seven conversation we had around segment two or three, I think, exemplifies that. Mm-hmm. Q puts nonsense out there, and he knows most of it's nonsense. Everyone ignores the predictions that are wrong or baseless or they haven't figured out, because there's always just the, oh, Q's smarter than me, and I wasn't good enough to understand the message, or whatever vagaries they have. But then when they get one that works, boom, it works. He has a 100% success ratio because you count the successes and the failures are literally just put off until they come true. Yeah. So, of course, if you do that, you're going to have a 100% success ratio no matter what. And the documentary made a few examples of that and moved on. It's like, yeah, the, whatever Q was saying is nonsense. One thing the documentary didn't really properly convey that I was surprised about is the sheer number of Q drops that exist. 4,500? Yeah, thousands is what I was going to say. But yeah. Yeah. And often there are literally hundreds of Q drops in a single month. And so when you have that many drops that people are constantly putting thousands of man hours into combing over and trying to find anything that could be construed as true in relation to it, you're going to find things. I uh, found a QAnon research document. It's a Google spreadsheet. It makes a whole bunch of claims. It cites Q drops, but doesn't really cite sources. There's a few in there because it's many hundreds or thousands of rows. I clearly didn't read the whole thing. Right there on the first page, they refer to one of the early Q drops, one of the in, in the hundreds, right? And they talk about Hillary Clinton eating babies, and then you know the, the it's phrases like question answer, and the answer is well we know this is true because we know Hillary eats babies, and it's like this little circular chain of bullshit logic. The first few pages all play out like that. Then towards the end, they're they're citing like Facebook conversations or citing screenshots, but it's they're trying to answer a question in a Q drop. And then they'll try to provide sources or logic, and then they'll wind up citing a different posting from Q, or it's also circular and baseless, I think, is what you're going for. Yeah, there's no external f- reference point. Yeah. Yeah. It's just baseless. And it, Wikipedia is very neutral on things, right? If it's not very proven, then they don't write it. And if you look at the, the QAnon Wikipedia page, it's like, here's a list of baseless claims that have been made. And here's a list of claims Q made that are you know, proven false. It's... If you have even the slightest ability to process evidence, you cannot believe this. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So that 15% of Americans do believe it, that's proof that we need more people talking about it like this. Yeah. And it's also proof that you're not going to be able to use logic and evidence to get people out of this. Cullen, in the, you linked to his AMA, Mm -hmm. even says, yeah, there's no good way to use, you know, debunking to convince people that this isn't real. You have to talk to them. You have to find common ground. You have to use emotion to get them out. He even said that for a number of QAnons, what's the real draw to the conspiracy is just the how good or incredible the story is. So one thing that helps a lot is to have a better story. Like a book? Like any fucking book? (laughs) Well, these people want it to relate to real life, so find something incredible in real life and tell them about it. But that can be tricky, depending on the topic. Well, it's just fantasies are fantastical, tautologically so. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard to find an equally compelling real story. That is intuitive, but do keep in mind that how many people on Reddit were saying that House of Cards ended up uh, falling behind of real life. 
because just everything going on in the Trump administration. Yeah, that's the thing, though. An effective president won't be this dramatic because drama doesn't run the country. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, it's it's possible, right? It's just, it's just it's so much easier to make a lie that's interesting than it is to, like, find facts that are interesting. And there Very are much so. really good, interesting facts out there, right? Like, there are really hard-to-answer questions, but, like... They're not human scale, right? Us from computer science, we can go way into does P equal NP, right? People who are studying the the bounds of astronomy, they can ask like, what is dark flow? What is dark energy? What is dark matter? We found these anomalies in our understanding of science. There's so many open questions, but the majority of QAnon supporters don't have a college education. They're predominantly Protestant. I mean, there's this huge overlap in religion. They've been given this way to analyze the world that doesn't care about facts or evidence. They're they're not going to be able to... People who appreciate QAnon, I don't think, will understand the real questions that are out there that aren't answered yet. Well, not from where they are, not readily. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say they're like brain damaged or something. I'm just saying they they, they don't have the, the current... They have the wrong mindset at a minimum. Yeah. Oh, we've been going for longer than I think we intended to. Do you give this documentary a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I think I kind of partially answered that in our episode six review. If you're trying to answer the question, who is Q, then I kind of have a a lukewarm response to it. I mean, it makes some decent points and not other points. And apparently there was some other thoughts that Colin included in his AMA that I think should have gotten into the documentary. Like he mentioned, he thinks that Paul Ferber was the original Q. That wasn't mentioned in the documentary at all. Oh, that's just missing. Yeah. Okay. And that would have been an interesting thing for him to present that case in the documentary. I really think it should have been included, but for whatever reason, it wasn't. Uh, Probably boring. (laughs) Easily provable. Maybe. If you're going in wondering what QAnon is all about, like what caused the stir, and you just you need a primer about the QAnon phenomenon, uh, then I would say the documentary is, is pretty great at doing that. And overall, sure, I, I give it a thumbs up. I think I'm going to give it a thumbs up as well. It's not overtly lying, which would have made me give it a thumbs down. What really got me was the subliminal flashing of pictures, like Lola Bunny with the huge dick and the politician with a foreskin sleeping bag. It was amazing. Oh, well, to each of their own. Oh, is that... I, I thought you just wanted to leave me something to talk about positive. Did you did you want to go more into the... You're fine. You're good. You do you. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher, including Jared, Duct Tape, Keldar, and Lazori78. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. Copyright 2021 Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was slow by PitX, used with permission. And then when we look at Christianity, we look at all the voluntary harm it's caused. It encourages, even just today, somebody on LinkedIn was telling me to just read the Bible. And I'm like, hey, you're a woman. Are you sure? 1 Timothy 2.12 says I shouldn't listen to you. I'm sure that went over well. They stopped responding. Oh, so it did. It's just, the book is full of bigotry. In this case, it was misogyny. And it's like, why do you tell me to do this? If I do this, it means I can't listen to you. <laughs> Have you not read the book yourself? Not the everything, just the parts that their pastors told them to read with the interpretations they told them to interpret to move on with their happy, ignorant lives. I feel like I need to defend myself because I've said a lot of things that are going to make me sound like a horrible fucking human. 1 Timothy 2 colon 12. I'm going to read the exact passage from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay, according to the new, new international version of the Bible, 1 Timothy 2 12 is, 
I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That's uh, pretty direct. Not very many ways to interpret Let that. Let me get the King James Version. Sure. It's the same. Oh. Yeah, that turns out that one didn't get lost in translation. It's very direct. Okay, then. So, yeah. Yeah, there's bigotry baked right into it. Yes. It seems pretty voluntary. You can just choose to not believe the religion until you find evidence it's true. I don't see any reason why a woman shouldn't be able to teach me things. People of every gender teach me everything or teach me all kinds of things all the time. Yep. <sighs> so, evidence good. 